everybody. Good morning, good morning. See everybody out. Good crowd this morning. A little lopsided. I'll be preaching more to this side. So uh, it's like about two-thirds over here, about a third. So you guys only going to get a third of the message, I guess. So <laughs> I was just a joking. Uh, let's see here. Hymn of Invitation 168, I Need Thee. And uh, we'll go ahead and also dismiss uh, 12 and Under for Children's Church to head over to, uh, we've got a, a treat today. Karen has uh, her puppets with her today, so we got a puppet show for Children's Church. Anyone who wants to go over for that? So you are dismissed. All right, guys and gals, there you go. Very good, very good. Got a good crowd headed over. All right for them. And certainly good to uh, see everybody this morning and good to be here. And, uh, if you're visiting, I want to welcome you. If you're logging into Facebook or onto YouTube a little bit later, uh, we're happy to have you and want to invite you to be with us anytime that you can, whether that's in person or if you're only able to uh, join us uh, on your phone or computer, then we're certainly happy to be uh, sharing God's Word with you in either case. And it's always a privilege for me to share in God's Word with you. Now, revival and homecoming is, uh, is gone. Man, the year has flown by, hasn't it? Uh, September is half gone. And uh, revival, as I said, homecoming, that kind of marks for me the, the beginning of the, of the season, the holiday season, and, and when things really start picking up and getting busy here uh, at church for us. Uh, I think we had a great homecoming and revival. Doug had uh, five great messages, uh, and then Jesse did a great job filling in. He had another great message, went right along with, with Doug's uh, message on Friday night, and uh, I believe it's important that we have revival and homecoming as well. Uh, not only for us as a church body, but for us as individuals as well. It gives us a chance to hear, hear words from a different person and uh, their leading of the Lord. Doug had asked me prior to preparing for the, uh, for the uh, revival, he said, what do you want me to preach on? I said, I never ask a revival preacher to, to preach on a specific subject. I just leave that... Uh, between you and the Lord, and I don't think he could have, the messages were brought could have been any better suited for us. Uh, I personally enjoy revival because I get to sit down and I listen to, to some messages, uh, and yep, preachers need to do that too, and uh, that's, that's what I enjoy about it as well. Had about 45 here each night. Laurel Chapel did come over on Wednesday night and boosted us up to 80 one night, and we appreciate that, but I'm tickled to have uh, our attendance back up for revival. The bulk of that 45 was Locust Grove people. And I can't see how that anyone came and listened to, whether you were here every night or just a few nights, I can't see how that you could come and listen to those messages and not be affected in some way. They were, they were that good, I thought. So I'll ask you a question to ask yourself and to answer to yourself. I don't want anybody blurting anything out. Uh, how did revival affect you? For those that were here, uh, whether it was one night or, or every night, how did revival affect you? The biblical term revive is not a work of a preacher. It's not a work of an evangelist or even ourselves. 
But it is a work of God through the Holy Spirit. So I ask you this question. Are you, and this is the title of our sermon this morning, are you revived? That was the purpose of revival, is to revive us, to bring us back into a, a, a different view, and we'll see that here shortly, and that's what I'm going to go over this morning. If you answered yes to that question, I am revived, then the, the effects of that, the outward effects of that will be that we will have a new attitude, and that being a new mental position toward other people. So I want to look at that this morning, a new attitude, the things that, that revival of, of how it affects us. But also, not only is this for those that were at revival, but for those that hear the message. Maybe weren't at revival at all. But we'll understand the working of the Holy Spirit, the, the truth of God's love, the truth of his word, how it affects people. And those are, that is available to you as someone that maybe doesn't have a relationship with Christ. So if you would, we're going to look at several scriptures this morning. If you would, start, we'll start off in Psalms 138, verse 7. And this is the number one reason for revival, as I said, for the believer and for the non-believer, those that without Christ, is that we will have a new attitude toward God. A new attitude toward God. Psalm 138, 7 the psalmist writes this and says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. We will view God differently when we become revived. That, that old desire that we have to draw closer to him is one effect of revival, the main effect, and that we hope to see, we hope to see happen, that it brings all believers closer to, the, to God and to Jesus as our Savior, to increase our desire to know him in a more personal way, in a more intimate way, to draw us closer to him in our relationship. He is more and will be more than just some kind of force or some kind of power floating around out there in space or in the universe. He'll become less distant and more personal. We will go to him in times of trouble and, and most of us have no problem doing that now, do we? In times of trouble, we oftentimes go to God. Even if you're not a believer, it's not uncommon for someone to call upon the name of the Lord in times of trouble or despair. But for a revived person, someone that draws closer, yes, we will go to him in times of trouble. But we will also go to him in times of plenty and in times, the good times. When oftentimes we neglect that otherwise. So I encourage you to think about that when, when you, if you say to yourself, well, Robbie, yeah, I, I think I was revived. Well, think about that in your relationship with God. Draw closer to God because of the messages, because of your revival to have that effect of revival. You will also have a different attitude toward believers. Look with me over in Nehemiah. Don't often go to Nehemiah for, for any kind of... Uh, scripture reference, but this is uh, pertinent to this. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. I'm talking about answered prayers here. 
uh, Nehemiah and talking about rebuilding that wall. Uh, so Nehemiah 4, 6 says this, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. And when I was going over this and thought about this, the first thing that popped in my mind was our work days that we have up here at church. And it doesn't matter how many people come, if it's, if it's three or four, or if it's a two dozen, uh, if it's more than that, we all come together with a mind to work. Of course, we had one common goal when we come and, and to do the, the church cleanup and prepare for homecoming and revival, and everybody went out and had their part in, in doing those types of things. And it is the same exact way whenever we're revived, and I'm not talking about actively doing things, though I'm not discounting that, around the church for cleanup days, but I'm also talking about a common goal which we have to be light and be salt. Remember Doug's message about that, that we are the ones that are responsible for being the light of the world. We are the ones responsible for being the salt uh, of the world so that we can affect people, we can show people the light of Christ in this dark world that we live in. And we don't oftentimes like to think of it dark. And I understand that. We look at our kids or grandkids or great-grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, our, our spouses. We look at them and we think about uh, the, how bad we don't want those children to be raised in a world that's considered dark. We hearken back to the time when we were raised. And it doesn't matter what generation you are. Because uh, if you're not in this generation, you're in a generation that was raised differently and raised closer to God. I'll just say that. And we want our kids to be raised that way. And we don't want to think about darkness. We don't want to think about evil at work in our world. But the sad fact is that uh, wishing that does not make it any different. Because the fact is, when we look at the world that we live in today, if, there, if Christians are not light, if Christians are not salt, no one else will be. Darkness will prevail because light refuses to shine. So therefore, we can have a different view toward other believers when we're revived. We're all pulling on the same rope, the same direction. We all have a common goal. Yes, sometimes we gather together to clean up around the church. But we gather together three times a week up here to learn more about God's Word, to encourage each other, and to be able to hopefully bring people in that maybe don't know about the goodness of God, that maybe don't know about the salvation of Christ. And then therefore, when we do that, we come together as a team. You ever think about yourself as being on a team here? But we are. This is a team. And the team, any kind of team, has one goal, and that's victory. And if there's one team that I want to be on, that I want to win, it's this one. I want us to win because of who the owner of the team is. It's God. And, and what he gave for us to be a team. So let's look at each other with a different view that we're here for the same reasons. We're here because we love God. We're here because we desire to be salt, that we desire to be light among the world. That grows ever and more increasingly dark for the future of our kids, for the future of the next generations is coming. I've got some uh, interesting statistics that I'm going to share with you tonight uh, in the our sermon 
that kind of goes along with this that is really shocking to me. So I want to encourage you to be here tonight to listen to some of these statistics. And this is uh, uh, kind of post-COVID stuff. These, these numbers are included in that now. We've been through that long enough that we can see that. And just kind of what I was talking about there earlier, that we work together to accomplish something great for God. And that is also means that we'll have a different attitude toward the lost. Now, I'm not going to sing this song, but we've got the words up here. It is a casting crown song. Uh, and the chorus of We Are the Body. And when you hear the words of this song, when you sing them, some of you are very familiar with it. Maybe some of you are not so familiar with this song. But this is, is talking about asking the question of ourselves as Christians. And the chorus of the song goes, but if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? If we are the body of Christ, these are the things that we are called to do. And I think that we do that very well as a, as a congregation. I think we've, we serve well, we do well, we have people that are willing to step up. But then we also, like any congregation, we have people that are not willing to step up and do anything. But if we're going to be part of the body of Christ, we're called to step up. So I want to encourage you to, to think about that whenever we say, oh, I'm revived. Great. Let that lead you to more service, to where your hands are healing, you're, you're reaching out, you're teaching, you're doing what you can do, what you're able to do. And that's what I think that this song and these chorus and these words mean, should mean to us, is that I'm going to do what I am able to do because God has equipped me to do that, and I want to bring glory to God and His kingdom. So if we are the body, we need to be reaching and teaching and healing and helping and showing people, again, light, salt. There is a way out of this darkness. And it is through the light, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the light of the world. And we have to show them that there is a way, and that way is toward Jesus. So yes, we'll have that new attitude toward God, other believers, and those that are lost as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and I, and I think sometimes... In this world that we live in, because of the things that have changed so much from generation to generation, that we maybe forget these words that Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first six verses. I want you to listen to this. Paul says to young Timothy, his young preacher, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good 
and acceptable in the, in the sight of God our Savior. Now listen, here's the verse I want you to key in on. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's God's desire that all men, all women should be saved. And we know that there is only one way to be saved. And that's through Christ. The blood of Jesus as our Savior. Showing people that way. That way that Paul was encouraging Timothy to go out there and let them know that be praying for your leaders. So that we can live quiet, peaceable lives. So that we can be those points of light, that little bit of salt in people's life, and that they may come to the knowledge and the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the salvation that he brings. Who will have all men to be saved? In this world that we look at, the world that we live in, because of so much evil that we see going on, so many times people denying the very truth of God's word, we figure that maybe in our minds we don't say these things out loud, but we think that they're beyond hope. They're beyond salvation. They have no desire to be saved. They're obviously living outside of God's word, and they should know it's the truth, <clears throat> but yet they deny the truth. But God would still have them to be saved. If they continue to deny and, and, and to not adhere to God's word, it's their choice. But it doesn't mean that we are relieved of the duty of being light or salt. So we have a different attitude toward the lost. When we are revived, <clears throat> excuse me again, we will have a new determination. And we'll be determined differently. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes and says that, uh, well, I'll wait till you get there, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2. says, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are we that determined that, that that's all that, that is important to me whenever I encounter someone? is to let them know that I am saved by the blood of Christ and Him crucified. And that's what we hope amongst believers as well. That that is the thing that draws us together. That's the, the common theme for us is Christ and Him crucified as the basis of our salvation. I am determined not to know anything among you save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we'll be consistent when we have that new determination in our personal walk with God. Oftentimes that's the result that we see with people. We oftentimes see people that come to revival and they come to church and, and they come more regularly than they did and they begin to drop off a little later on. So many, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, maybe it's days. But let me encourage you that when we are revived, when we have that desire to draw closer to God, when we have that desire to draw closer to other believers and, and look at them differently and look at the lost differently, then we're going to be determined to be more consistent in our worship. We'll be at church more often. We'll be at church more regularly. We'll be in prayer more often. We'll study in our Bibles more often. 
No longer is church something that we do that doesn't get in the way of something else. No longer is something else a priority in our lives that church is something that can or cannot be participated in according to the will of the person that's deciding. Church is priority because it brings us together to worship God. It brings us together to be with other believers. And it brings us together with the hope and the opportunity that we can be salt and light to the lost. And when we look at church in those lights, when we look at church with those eyes, rather, then we can see a greater value of church attendance. Then we can see a greater value of Bible study. Then we can see a greater value to prayer life. Because it is all working together to bring glory to God. So we'll be more consistent. To what? To serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15. A very familiar piece of scripture here. One that, that many people, you have pictures. Uh, plaques, wall hangings, engravings many times. That say this. 24, 15. But it's only the back part that we keep. It's important that we read all of this particular scripture. Joshua says here, And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in those lands, in whose lands ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we have that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's, and they're nice. It's a good reminder. But it's also a good reminder of what Joshua said at the beginning of that. Do you see it evil to serve God? It's more than believing. He doesn't say me and my house will believe in the Lord, does he? He says, me and my house, as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. And somehow we've replaced that word serve with believe. And we've convinced ourselves generation to generation to generation that suddenly, somehow, belief is service. And somehow, suddenly, belief is acceptable and all that we really need to do is just to believe. We don't really need to serve because someone else will serve. Someone else will be light. Someone else will be salt. All I have to do really is just believe. And that's not what Joshua said there. I will serve. Me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So that's what we need to understand and think about. Men, as the leaders of your homes, it's your responsibility to guide your family to serve the Lord. To teach your children about God. About the priority being first for God. And listen, if your priority in your household yourself is not number one, is it not God, then why would you expect or how can you teach your family the same? Because they will follow the example that they're given. So we have to serve the Lord as Joshua says. Psalm 100 verse 2 when we are revived, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Do we come before the service of the Lord? Do we come before him when we come to serve with gladness and singing? 
because we are so happy that we're able to do something for God who has given us so very much without asking anything in return except the belief in following what his word says and accepting Christ as his Savior, as our Savior. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. We will desire when we are revived to please God through our service to him. Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. That word heartily, some of your, some of your translations should say enthusiastically. Now you think about that. Whenever we're called to do, what's he say here? What's Paul writing? Let's break that down so a little bit. Whatsoever you do. When it says whatsoever you do, what do you think that includes? That's everything. Everything that a Christian does. What? What? Do it heartily. Or what? Is that other word? Enthusiastically. As... To the Lord and not unto men. So therefore, what we're called to do as Christians, when we're called to be light and be called to be salt, is that on the here at church with enthusiasm? No, that's whether we're at work, we're at play, on vacation. We're to serve God in whatever we do with enthusiasm, with being heartily all in, zealous. Go look up, go look up the word heartily, and look at the, the synonyms. There's a bunch, if you need a different word to plug in there. And they all point toward serving God with a determination to do this, a gladness to do this, a zeal to, to serve God, regardless of where we are or what we do. How else can we be salt and can we be light? Because no one likes going to work. We might enjoy our jobs, but, but honestly, I would rather not have to get up every morning, Monday through Friday, go to work and do my job. I would much rather get up when I want to get up and go do what I want to do Monday through Friday. But the realistic part of that is I have to, I have to eat. I have to pay bills. But I'm blessed enough by God that I'm able to do that physically. And he has blessed me with a job where I can support that. So shouldn't I, as being salt and light, engaging in something that nobody wants to do, how can I be different? I can be different by being enthusiastic about being salt, being light at my job. And you can too. You can too. Because we realize there's something different. That we have those blessings and that ability to do that. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. And we'll have that new enthusiasm. In regard to our faith, when we realize what God has done for us, how his giving of his son at Calvary's cross, how our eternal destiny is changed because of that. When we accept Christ, that should get us excited. That we have the hope of a changed destiny. That we are not condemned except by our own condemnation, by our own denial of who Christ is. But we have the hope of a happy eternity with God. Because of the work of Christ at the cross.
No other name, the Bible tells us, by which men may be saved. That's another issue I want to bring up and we'll go ahead and plug for shocking statistics about that no other name statement. Scripture. So I'll encourage you to come out tonight. Just too much to do into one sermon that I had to split it into two. Come out and listen to these statistics. Galatians chapter 2, 20. Paul writing to the church at Galatia, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that was the theme of this whole week was faithfulness and faith. And, and really what's the basis of our faith? And we've seen people that, that uh, started off poorly and, and finished strong. We've seen people that was, was reluctant to have faith and to be faithful. We've seen people that was faithful from beginning to end, but yet they messed up a little bit in the middle and had some stumbling blocks and some speed bumps. But when we have that new determination, that determination will lead us to be faithful regardless of the circumstance and to not allow a speed bump or a, or a pothole, whatever you want to refer to it as, as something that's a setback forever. We, we repent of it. We move on. We learn from it. We move on. We make reparations where needed and we move on. But yet we stay determined to move forward, to press toward the mark, as Paul says, that high calling to remain faithful and to serve. We'll have a new determination about faithfulness, something we need to be reminded of, Revelation 3, 16. And this is, this is a bad place to be for anyone. And I'm not going to say for sure. I can speak for myself. There's been season in my life that I would be described as this. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I, I wouldn't, I'm not condemning anybody, but I would think that we all probably at some point in our life, some part time in our walk with Christ, have been lukewarm. Some, unfortunately, went from lukewarm to cold. You never see them anymore. Some have went from lukewarm to hot. And they serve and they're here and, they, and they're churches and they're in the community and they're salt and they're light at their jobs. There's no hope, Jesus says, if you're lukewarm when I return. I'll spew you out. Some of your translations say vomit. And that's the force. And that relates to what position that Jesus looks at that as, being lukewarm. Because we, we think about you know, throwing up. That's usually associated with someone that's sick, something that's got to come out of your stomach because it makes you feel so bad it's got to come out of there and and we can and I know this is a bad analogy but you know after you after when you're really sick at your stomach and you and you do throw up you usually feel better don't you because that has to come out and that's what Jesus is saying about a lukewarm Christian you've got to come out because you make me so sick I feel bad because you're there 
I'd rather you be hot like a cup of coffee or cold like iced tea. We can drink those, right? And they're enjoyable. The hot coffee, and referring to a warm Christian or someone that's on fire, hot, and we're serving cold. You can bring them up to hot. But someone that stays in that middle, that fence riding position, someone that's not hot, I'm not on fire, no, I'm, I'm not cold, you'll see me every once in a while. That makes sick. I'm going to vomit you out. It's not a place that we want to be, but it's a place that I believe that we have all been. I want to encourage every one of us to desire to be hot. That our desire of our heart would be on fire for the Lord, so to speak. So that that could be, temperature could be raised. We may be in a state of lukewarmness right now, but we don't want to stay there. Because so many times it's easy to settle into that and be comfortable there as being lukewarm. If we're truly revived, we won't stay in that state. Because there is a future that we have to regard. Turn over to chapter 22 of Revelations. Verse 12, words of Jesus. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be, as his work shall be. So that's, that's just, it gives me a new enthusiasm to make sure that I'm serving because there is going to be a judgment someday. Behold, I come quickly. And when we think about the Bible as a book, it's an exciting book. The future is bright. When we look at the scriptures, the future is bright for a child of God. And we certainly live in strange times where we see lots of things on a regular basis that line up with the signs that Jesus taught, the other prophets taught, about the second coming of Christ. We're living in times that are, those are very common things. And for someone that is a child of God, someone that's living an obedient life to God, it's an exciting time because the reward that we, that we talked about during revival too, that, that faithfulness, that faith that's coming from something afar off draws closer for us. And regardless if it's Christ returning, as he says, or if it's us folding our hands in death, with each breath, with each heartbeat, we come that much closer to the reality of being in judgment. And we have to live our lives that way as Christians in revival. The scriptures tells us that he's going to come quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those others waiting shall be caught up in the air or meet him in the air. Then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So let me comfort you with some words. Jesus is going to return with a shout and the trump of God and the archangel. 
and those brothers and sisters, mamas, papas, aunts, uncles, spouses, whatever the relation may be, that died in Christ are going to be resurrected first. And then the scripture tells us, and I'm encouraging you with this, that we're going to meet them in the air. And we're going to be forever with the Lord. Amen. We're going to be in heaven forever with the Lord. Did you hear me? We're going to be forever in heaven with the Lord. Amen. Why can we not be enthusiastic about that? Do we not believe it or are we ashamed to be enthusiastic about that good news? And that's what, I'm, what revival should do for us is to make us realize what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, wherefore comfort one another with these words. What words? That we shall ever be with the Lord. So that's what revival should do for us. That's where revival should lead us is to this, this point. And we should be able to walk out comforted enthusiastic, happy to know that because of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, because of the salvation that His blood purchased at Calvary, I will have the hope of someday being reunited with all of the loved ones who have gone on before, but more importantly, reunited with the Savior who died for me so that I can worship the Father who sent Him. That's what revival should do to us. So I ask you again the question I asked earlier, are you revived? And I think we went over, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I think this is a pretty good short list of things that should be evidence of revival. If you have been revived, I hope that these things will begin to work in your life to improve your relationship with the Lord. Now, we went over a lot of stuff talking about revival of those that, for brothers and sisters in Christ, if, if you're not a Christian, you can't be revived from something you've not been. But something that is the wonderful news about that is that you can come into that. You can come into that state of salvation. You can come into that state of hope. And how do you do that? By hearing the word. And I hope you've heard it and understand it this morning. And you believe it. And once you believe it, it begins to work in you in your life. And you have that nagging. That, under, that, that just, you just can't get away from it. That nagging, that's the Holy Spirit pulling on you to make a change. And then you do. You repent of your sins. You confess Christ as your Savior. You're buried with Him in the likeness of His death in that watery grave of baptism. Raise that new creation. You've received the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide you successfully until Christ returns or until we're called away, which is called being faithful until death. Now, if you've never done that, but you feel the call of the Holy Spirit this morning to do that, I want to encourage you. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation, I Need Thee. And we all need Him. But if you're here without Him, rest assured, you, your future in the Scriptures is not bright. It's not bright. It's not like the world will tell you that surely a loving God would never send someone to hell. That's a lie. Either that's a lie or the Bible's a lie. I'm going to choose to believe the Bible. Now, maybe you're a Christian and you realize, you know what, Rob made some good points. And there's a lot of that, that sermon, there's something in this sermon that's speaking to me. Make that change. Don't resist that. 
The Holy Spirit calling you to be revived in an area of your life is certainly not something to, to resist. You don't have to come down here. But you do have to talk it over with the Lord. You do have to make that change within yourself and, and ask God for the guidance on that. And I encourage you to do that as well. We're going to sing second and third verse. I need the 168. If you have a decision, would you come as we stand and sing? <laughs>